Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And as we continue to dive into the weird and wonder of Horror Week here on No Film School, I had the pleasure of speaking with filmmaker Ricardo Martinez, co-founder of The Latin Exorcists, a Latino horror writers group that includes writers like Jose Nateras, Elani Rivera, Lisa and Gina Gomez, and Jose Chavez. Names you've probably seen on the likes of The Blood List and around the industry because there's a lot of buzz surrounding this group. The Latin Exorcist recently partnered with the Handy Foundation, this nonprofit that connects below-the-line workers to job opportunities in Hollywood to provide professional development while helping studios and networks meet diversity and inclusion goals. And Ricardo, in true filmmaker fashion, is this amazing multi-hyphenate. And his work in color correction, editing, across narrative and doc, all boils down to his joy of horror. One of the highlights of our conversation was talking about his work coloring horror films and the specifics that each horror story requires from a color perspective. Ricardo takes us into the nitty-gritty of how he achieves the most haunting images on screen. For example, using Resolve to color and make VFX shots that are hidden within his Latin Exorcist horror promo video. Beyond this, Ricardo has a strong storytelling background and has been developing his new comic book series, Tales from the Border, The Bloodstone, a series that was inspired by his feature documentary, The Wall. Ricardo spent two years along the border, interviewing border patrol, sheriffs, migrants, local residents, and even a racist vigilante group, all of these stories that later went on to inspire his comic book series. The twist is, Ricardo made this documentary 15 years ago. He was telling stories around the horrors of the wall being built way back many, many presidents ago. The success of that documentary led to Ricardo being tapped by Snoop Dogg for a documentary series, Seed to Strain. There's so much to unpack within this conversation with a Ricardo, so let's get to it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. Welcome to 
Horror Week, sponsored by Black Magic. And I am here with Ricardo Martinez, the co-founder of The Latin Exorcists. Thank you for joining us, Ricardo. Thank you for having me on. This is rad. <laughs> and now, what is The Latin Exorcist? Well, the, Besides the a Latin- great name. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah, we kind of happened upon it. Like the second meeting, we were like, oh my God, we have a meeting. Now we have to come up with a name. What are we going to call each other? And we came up with a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, there's like a, a culture. This is kind of important too, to the point is, you know, we're all a bunch of Latinos, Latine, Latinx. This thing is going on in the news at the time. But we're all writers and we're from so many different places, you know, like the types of people we are, where geographically we're from. So they were like, you know, what if we call it Latin exorcists? You know, like we're exercising the story. We're also making fun of Latin. So yeah, so as basically the Latin exorcists is a horror screenwriters group of Latine, Latinx, Latina, whatever you choose to identify as, you know, in the Latino name sphere. And we come together, if you identify as Latino and you write horror or like to talk about horror, like to read horror scripts, we come together and we want you to, to be there too. We read two scripts a month amongst, and then share them amongst the group and give our notes to try to make that script better each time. And the group is 100% free, you know? And basically, you can be anywhere and submit a script. And that's kind of what, you know, if you can imagine, that's kind of, we're trying to address a couple problems here with the group. But also, we're trying to, we all love horror so and genre. So it was kind of cool, like like a fun group to join in as friends, you know? Yeah. We're all writers, so we like to talk about screenwriting, but we also love horror and genre. So we just combine the two together, you know? And that's kind of what we are. So the short five-second pitch. The Latin Exorcist is a Latino horror screenwriters group. Yeah. I, I love that. And you guys made this promo video that sort of like distills down and shows the love of horror. And it, it's this amazing sort of like encapsulation of, I'd say, the vibes of horror. And and I love that this is like a group that's building community and specifically addressing a problem around representation within the horror community, but also within filmmaking and this industry in general. So not only are you guys supporting within the community surrounding something that you guys love and are passionate about, but you're also like helping create a solution for a problem within this industry, which is really cool. And it sounds like you're very tapped into the industry as a whole based off of the accolades and people who are part of this writer's group. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, I never feel like I'm a part of the, you know, like I'm always like, feel like I'm outside of that industry. But I think that what you're pointing on and highlighting is something that's recently happened that's really beautiful is to see like all these people kind of come hear about the group and come to us and say, wow, like people within the industry have kind of started to, you know, find us and say like, oh, you're into horror and you have writers and you're meeting for free. Like, tell us more. We want to know more. So we've had like, we've gotten in the last month, you know, more connected basically just because we came together, you know, and, but I want to point out, we're all kind of feel like outsiders. I mean, that's who we're trying to like, you know, appeal to is like, you know, those people that don't really know what to do with their terrifying, disturbing script, you know, and, you know, just as a, you know, thing that happens kind of within us is like, you know, you're a new screenwriter. You don't have a lot of money. You're not getting hired. Right. So you don't want to really pay for the existing services that are out there. And historically, you know, people from our community or from poor communities, 
they don't want to pay those either. So this is a way to find writers, not just that are Latino, but also that maybe don't want to, don't have the money to you know do this. Maybe they have a day job, maybe they have a family, but they could be good storytellers. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah. that's what we all, you know, we, it's like, it's so much more fun to me to come together and say like, hey, tell me a really scary story. You know, as a kid, I think we've all done that before. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the vibe in the group when we meet together is like, oh, dude, this part was scary. I actually like this, you know, and then, you know, and then also try to make the script better because, you know, we also, that's why we're there. So. How, what was your intro to horror? Like, when did you become hooked on horror? Oh, I mean, I am, you know, a 90s, 80s kid. Well, we watched a lot of 80s movies in the 90s. I think, I, my, I think the very, the movie that really rocked me was The Fly. You know, as a young kid, there were times I couldn't still, I still didn't really finish that movie as a youth. You know, I only watched parts of it. um, Because it's so disturbing. Yeah, the Cronenberg films really just wrecked me emotionally. We literally were just talking about it on the podcast that ran yesterday about practical effects and how it is so, so disturbing and so visceral and so human at the same time. Like the story itself, it's like the horrors of, obsession with career and isolation and not finding love and becoming a monster yourself. Like what a great, what a great film to have been such an influence on you early on. Yeah. Also Hitchcock. My mom was a big fan of Hitchcock. And so I watched the birds as a young kid and it just blew me away. You know what? You know, like I said, like it just, my mind exploded, you know, I was like, Oh my God, there's so much to do within this kind of storytelling. So like The Birds and I didn't, I never I didn't quite watch Psycho. I think I watched it on TV when it was edited because there's some stuff in there as a kid. RoboCop really played to me as a horror movie, you know, in a lot of ways, like losing mm. your body again and, you know, watching your family die and, you know, mm. or, you know, it's just, you know, just a, a lot of terrifying stuff. I mean, well, he's, his family doesn't really die, but he like loses his family at the same time. Yeah, and, uh, which is horrifying. Uh, yeah. There's that, there's that one scene in there actually that really scared me. And if you know, I don't think he intended it to be this way, but when they're killing Murphy in Robocop mm-hmm. uh, and they're like laughing, you know, and as a kid, you know, there's something about that scene that really like was like a bully kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where the guy's like, does it hurt? Does it? That moment really just, you know, right ear, you know, burrowed in my head as a yeah. terrifying thing, you know? And so there's a lot of, Oh, I could keep going, you know, Day of yeah. the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, how many other ones do we, how long do we have? You know, <laughs> Not enough time to cover it all, but like to geek out about it. And one thing that I noticed in preparing for this interview was your trajectory as a filmmaker. You know, I guess it was that, was it 15 years ago that you made The Wall? Oh, man. <laughs> the, the, uh, so The, yeah. the Wall yeah, being so- a documentary about The Wall that yeah. how before, I mean, how timely it was at the time and also before its time as a culture. And now this documentary about, you know, the wall that Bush built between the U.S. and Mexico and the border crossing and, and the horrors of that, which you have then taken into the hor- a horror universe, your learnings and your discoveries of that. Now you're exploring through a comic book series the horror of that reality and using horror as a way to tell that story, which I think is probably just a great example of like how 
the Latin exorcist creates space for a community to explore the horrors of reality through horror, which lets us explore things in a very different way. Yeah, thank you. You know, so to, to give some little backstory, in 2006, I had, you know, saw stuff online, you know, and in the news and heard my friends say really bizarre things about this bizarre, you know, this really abstract concept of building a fence along the U.S.-Mexico border. And I ran down to Texas. You know, I knew there was a story there that was way more complicated than what was in the media. And it was very abstract. You know, it was beyond something I could kind of comprehend. They're just going to build a big wall. Yeah. So I headed down to Texas and Arizona, spent two years. And one of the things that happened was I was embedded with this vigilante group called the Minutemen. And at the time in 2006 and seven, they were very active. There's, you know, a bunch of wackos. I don't want to name them, but some of them were convicted later of crimes. But Mm -hmm. I was with them before they were, you know, outed as like actual violent people. And they thought I was like Jewish or something. I, I don't know what it was going on, but they felt very comfortable talking about all these things in front of me. And I was with them in the desert in Arizona and we were in the middle of the night and there's like, you know, mucho calabra, you know, all these like snakes and there's scorpions and there's the cactus making your everything hurt on you. And I just thought, you know, and, you know, there's gunshots going off and, you know, we've seen bodies. And I was just sitting there in the Arizona thing. I'm like, you know, this is not like a pobrecito story, as I like to tell people. It's not like a poor little guy story. This is a terrifying, you know, horrific event. And that inspired me from that horror of, you know, wandering in the middle of the night with just you and a flashlight and you can hear everything for miles, you know, and you hear breathing, you know, (laughs) you know, these instances and stories that I heard from other people also were horrific and they all just kind of congealed and melted into me. And when I finished the movie, I did a tour and, you know, I, I had all these great meetings, but it didn't really go anywhere for, you know, developing me as a director. And so these, but this, you know, I worked as a producer and an editor and that's what I've been doing for a while, but the story stayed with me basically. Yeah. And then yeah. one day I had a nightmare. I saw something recently with, you know, in the news about child separation. And I had this nightmare, you know, in my head about this monster. And I was like, oh man, I, I got to make something, you know, like just to get this nightmare out of my head. And that's how I made The Bloodstone, which is a horror, you know, and genre kind of adventure story that follows a small unit of the Border Patrol who investigate strange disturbances along the border. And they find this magical stone. So that's the whole, <laughs> that's my long-winded answer for you. I'm sorry if I bored everybody to tears just now, but that was a Zero long, percent, uh... zero percent. <laughs> In fact, you made a teaser for the Bloodstone, a video teaser or trailer, would you call it? That is horrifying. Like it is <laughs> truly tapping into this. It feels, again, very of the moment. Not only is it a, like a story that is about this time and also 15 years ago and also the future and like this moment that we're at as a culture, but also like the way that it's designed, it it just brought me to this sort of like modern found footage horror uh, that I, that personally I find very satisfying and horrific. And, and talk to me about the process of creating that and what the um, goal was in creating that. Yeah. Well, so number one, I worked in Unreal. (laughs) I have this propensity as a filmmaker to kind of just teach myself stuff. And one of the things I did was I started working on Unreal during the pandemic. And so, so I learned a little bit of CG and, you know, and I had this, I just, I always, my friends would send me these like, you know, found footage clips of just really bizarre, you know, people running on all fours and you know, but I got the chills. I have yeah, actual yeah. goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from... and I would get these, 
you know, I get these like videos like that. Yeah. Or like, you know, the UFOs and, you know, everything is just, and yeah. And I thought, you know, this is, that's what I get scared of, you know, is that type of stuff. And from personal experience of being near the border, you know, there's wide open spaces, not a lot of cell phone service at the time when I was down there and everything is on, is being monitored. It's incredibly surveillance area. It's like the most technology in one area, you know, is on the, especially in Arizona. And so I thought, well, you know, they've seen things, you know, they must have, you know, like at least in my mind that they went that maybe, you know, maybe it's nothing, but they had to have something that was like, what is that? You know, like, like, what is this like little thing, you know, moving along the fence? And yeah, so that's kind of, and where does that go? How does that play out? And, you know, and, you know, and then also like, you know, yeah. So if you read the story, it's actually, there's another part to it too, but yeah, it's, that's where the impetus was. So the created the scene in Unreal, composited with like After Effects, tried to, <laughs> I'm going to have some more, you know, I'm going to have some more audio work done on it too. And I think, yeah, I try to kind of mine that area of like, found footage like the last exorcism was fun to me i thought you know of course i'm blair witch was like a huge thing when we were younger i think they've updated the found footage documentary a lot the format but also i'm a f- i look at something like cloverfield and i'm like this is just incredible storytelling period working within the parameters of found footage but you know it's just fantastic yeah, like when is documentary never going to be, you know, entertaining or as a, a good inspiration for narrative? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's been going on since Grey Gardens, right? I mean, as a somebody who loved documentary and spent years making a documentary, I think it's a great form. You know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I recently realized this because I've read Bram Stoker's Dracula so many times, and somebody said, "Yeah, you know, it's it's a documentary," and I'm like, yeah. "It's a found footage documentary. It's letters, you know, being written talking about this instance. It's." The guy on the boat that becomes a movie, the Demeter, you know, where this guy's writing about these weird things going on. It's yeah. fake retellings of a monster, you know, that like combine to give you this narrative. It's a, yeah. yeah. So, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm looking up right now because I'm having a brain aneurysm. No, I can't I think of. What is the Werner Herzog documentary about making the movie? Does that ring oh. a bell? Oh, okay. So there's the Gary Raft of God, which is the film, right? And then there's the one that what he's hanging out with. Fitzgeraldo. The one Fitzgeraldo. About, yeah. And the movie is called Fit. The movie about the burden of dreams. And, yeah. and you know, it's this, the documentary itself about making this film is in a way like the horrors of filmmaking in <laughs> reality. And I think there's so much exciting storytelling to mine within that or when you're blurring the lines. And that actually brings me up to another piece that you made, which is a documentary about wildlife in Central America. And <laughs> remind me the name of it. It's called Creatures of Earth. And Creatures it's, uh... of Earth. Horrifying. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you checked it out. Thank you. Yeah, I, I can only, I, I'm laughing. I have to watch it because sometimes I laugh when people are like, dang, that thing you wrote is scary. And I'm like, well, yeah. And I like laugh because I'm like, yes, you know, like it worked. But I, you know, but yeah, so 
I worked on Creatures of Earth. I was, it's basically, we call it a, it's a horror nature show about bugs. And, <laughs> and it's so real and horrifying. <laughs> and the sound design in it is what got, kept me up at night last night. I was, I, and I think oh, it's no. so, having just actually shot a film in Panama, I am so glad I didn't see it beforehand. <laughs> and but it's also beautiful. Like I, I think the way you shot it, I think there's beauty in horror as well. And again, this is we'll talk a little bit more about scripted in a moment, but like the finding the horror and the beauty and the reality, like is this recurring theme that I'm noticing in the work that you've done? Wow, thank you. Thank you. I'm working on accepting compliments and I appreciate that. I think, yeah, the, the creatures of earth. Number one, I want to point out was was scripted. Yeah, and so we it, there are animals. You know, we're working with live animals, but um, in order to make it happen, you know, it's we shot miniature. We shot little. So basically, the story of Creatures of Earth is that one night in the jungle, a baby tarantula has to survive. Uh, you know, all of the things that eat and love baby tarantulas—they're actually something that everybody wants to eat. Delicious. And the trick, the thing, when I got pitched this project from All Three Media. And uh, sorry, I just dropped my head. All three media and Mike Clarkson came to me after seeing Citadel Scavenger, actually. And uh, so they were like, hey, you know, you work with green screen. You can work with all these different effects to achieve a shot. You're kind of like a Swiss army knife, whatever, you know, like, and uh, so can you, do you think you could do something like this? And I said, sure, you know, we can do a story about a little bug being hunted by other animals, but we're going to have to storyboard everything. And, And, you know, because... Every single shot is a macro photography or a composite shot. So, uh, you know, so what I had to do, because the, 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 the tarantulas are actually the size of like a fingernail when mm-hmm. you really think about it. So we composited them on, we built a set. We built a set in my garage with like, you know, trees from South America and then put blue screen behind it. Yeah. And so the whole thing had to be storyboarded so that we could, because sometimes the animals are not going to do what you want them to do. Yeah. And, and so you have to figure out like, okay, well, I need it to look right, you know? And then I need the other animal to come running towards the camera, you know? And then yes. I can get green screen and yeah. And then, yeah. So it's, it was an incredible process to figure out, you know, how to pull these things off and to get it done when you, it, hopefully people who hear this can check it out. The pilot was a tr- tremendous experience for me and we loved it. We actually got, there was a brief moment there when it was optioned for a series by, I don't know if I can say it, but it was a pretty big production company. Yeah. And I met with like the head, this guy that had made Daywalkers. Or night, mm-hmm. uh, is it Daybreakers? No, Daywalkers? Is the, what's the one with the vampire movie with Ethan Hawke? Daywalkers. Uh, it, but yeah, Ethan Hawke. So I met with a producer that was really excited about the short. Blood and we Simple? Were actually, Blood Simple? No, it's like Daybreakers or something like that, I want to say. Oh. Uh, it's Just he's in the future. Daybreakers, daybreakers. Yeah, daybreakers. Yes. So one of the producers Ethan from, wrong. yeah, and wrong one Ethan. of the producers, <laughs> yeah, wrong Ethan. I, I, no, it's Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yeah. So we met with one of the producers from there, and he wanted to commission it for a series, and we were really excited about kind of developing that. And then the pandemic hit, and actually he went on to make that vampire movie with Renfield. He made we produced Renfield. Yes, yeah. we actually yeah. interviewed Chris McKay. Uh, the director oh, wow. of Renfield earlier this year, I 
had so much fun in that with that movie. Like I, I loved the action. It was a little bloody. It was a little too bloody for me, but like everything else about it, I was so into and I am obsessed with all the actors in that movie, especially and Brenda Nick, Scott. J- oh Nicholas yeah, Nick Holt. Holt? Holt? Yeah, Nicholas Holt. Yeah. What a what a cutie. What a little <laughs> Yeah. No, he's great. He's great in the in a TV show called The Great. Uh, yes. Also, yeah. It's interesting to be how do you balance being someone so unlikable? Like your characters are the worst person, yet we're still yeah. with you. And I think the great is a great example of that, his character in that. Even his character in the favorite, you know. Like I'm like, you guys are you're despicable. Oh, and yeah, that's right. yet, he's in that too. He's great in that. He's yeah. this guy has turned into this little genre prince. Yeah. But well, anyway, I digress. So you were real you really had this great momentum with with the project. Yeah. With Creature Creatures of Earth, we, you know, it turned out pretty well. It ultimately fizzled as shows do. You know, there's a thousand ways to die in, in Hollywood. But the process was great. And I met a lot of people. The shooting was taught me a lot of techniques about green screen, about, mm-hmm. you know, just compositing in general and kind of gave me some more tools for my future projects, you know, like now, especially that, that kind of armed me for Bloodstone. It did make me think a lot about sound design because those types of projects with animals, another thing that they don't tell you when you watch shows on Nat Geo is a lot of that stuff is MOS, which is an old term now, I think, without sound. Basically. Yes, a very film school semester one term because it's like, <laughs> yeah. we're all going to make something and there's no dialogue and all the kids are like, what? Their brains explode. Yeah. Sound is super important, especially with horror. We talked about this within the group as well. Sound design. Yeah. When I made Citadel Scavenger, I it was another thing where I realized that making sounds yourself is actually a lot of fun and very of a cheap way to boost up production costs. Yes. Yes. And anytime you see anything on screen, especially in a genre piece like horror or sci-fi, you should have a sound with it, you know, and the layers of sound. And it was just a great rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. You know, like well, that's that. something that stands out a lot in, our, in your work. And ironically, my MOS short from the one year of film school I did before I dropped out was a horror comedy called Eat Your Greens, where Kale comes and attacks a girl who didn't eat her greens. And we got to actually, like, we played a lot with actual Kale to make the sound of this, like, creepy, slithery Kale monster. And it was so satisfying to hear it come together, the, like, crackle and of Kale. Like, yes, Kale does make a noise and it has a very specific sound and that was something that i noticed in every everything that i've seen so when you're working with your in within the writers group like how do you actually talk about sound when it comes to your stories like are you saying like are you including it in the scripts are you guys giving that feedback or is that something that you're just kind of like aware of and you have on your radar yeah i think that's more of a production and or editing kind of issue uh, or you know or yeah, that's more of the production design I would kind of go into as well. Like, it's not something we discuss much in script unless we're talking about how a script reads. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about dialogue in the group. And, you know, if things, the great thing about being in a free horror screenwriters group is that you can read and just say whatever you want about how it made you feel. Yeah. We're not guarded in that way. And we, you know, we create a safe space. We don't record it, you know? Um, and so 
you know, we can say something like, you know, that dialogue just doesn't sound right. You know, like mm-hmm. it just for the character doesn't sound right. It doesn't come out of your mouth correct, you know, really well. Um, and we do also have writers that, uh, you know, are masters of this stuff, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. in the group, we talk about dialogue. We talk about how something reads and feels when you read it. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with sound, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of the things we do. So yeah, you guys definitely, so you have touched every part of production. You've directed, you have a very accomplished color career as well. <laughs> And when you're working within the writers group, like how do you use that knowledge to support writers or people who may not be as familiar with the post-production process? Well, thank you for saying that. Again, it's hard to take compliments. Um, I <laughs> take think- them. You get them. They, you deserve them. They're, <laughs> I don't I'm, think, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not in the group to tell people that I have all this experience. I'm in the group to help people telling them by what I think about the writing. And then if I don't like it, to give a suggestion of how to make it better. You know, one of the things that we want to do in this group is dispel, you know, the barriers, dispel the elev, you know, these kinds of layers or levels that people are at. You know, I love this line. This is so silly. I'm going to quote Ratatouille. I'm going to quote Ratatouille. But but like, you know, it's not everyone can be a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's exactly the, the viewpoint that I have in the group, that we have in the group, that you could be a mom working in the Midwest with, you know, and have this amazing script that you're sitting on. And mm-hmm. the problem is, the problem with Hollywood right now is that we have no way of finding that out. And we want to give you a way to find that out. You know, yeah. that's what we're trying to do is, you know, there are incredible writers that are just trying to get people to read their scripts. Yeah. And so... I don't come into that group thinking I'm anything other than an equal to the stranger that's sitting across from me from the screen, because that person may blow my mind in the next five minutes. And they have, you know, we've had some great scripts. If I don't, maybe so bold, you know, to say like, you know, we had this great script, Salvador Dali by Brad and Burkhart, you know, a terror, it was like a family that's trying to live with a terrifying doll, you know, (laughs) like it's like a comedy horror, but we had a great script from Jose Nateras who was on the blood list. You know, we just get, I'd say Marco Soriano has a Yidi script. There's people I've never heard of. Sarah Atayan, this writer, she was, she's Middle Eastern and, and Hispanic or Latina. And she wrote this thing about this like Arabic demon that's, I forget what it's called, like, you know, haunting somebody. And it just blew me away. So yeah, we have scripts. There was this guy, Miguel Pareno. I'd never heard of this, you know, like I said, the problem that we have right now is that nobody knows you know, everybody, nobody knows where the writers are, they say, you know, but the yeah. writers are out there just trying to be noticed. So yeah. if we give them a, a place to send in their scripts, they'll, they, people have brought us great stories. We're not even looking sometimes. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. So, yeah. So it's been really good. The answer to your question, I try to offer my uh, knowledge of editing all the time. Mm-hmm. The first thing that we, I tell people is if they, and this happens a lot with scripts, is in the first five pages, I want to know who your character is. I want to know what the conflict is. Mm-hmm. What is the central pressure? What is happening to them that I need to read the next page? And I need to know the context. And hopefully, the, on the lower level, the bottom of that is the style of the script has to keep me going also. But if I don't know who your character is, what the conflict is in the first five pages, you know, it's really hard because that's the way you would edit this project. Yeah. If, yeah. yeah. Um, if, if you make this into something as an editor, I can put my editor hat on and say, that scene's going to get cut. 
Yeah. You know, that person saying goodbye at the end of that scene, that's going to get cut. Like yes. somebody knocking on a door. I That better be some terrifying door that they're going to open when they, you know, like, like, why do I, I need want to, to hear see? the creak of the door and I want it to be a heavy wood door with texture? Like if it's not it- necessary for the, the narrative or the plot, it's useless and it's actually yeah. going to bore me. And if I get to the if I get to the monster on page 30, that's a problem. Like yeah. generally, like, yeah, you, you can do an alien, you know, which I love also where you show the, but they, the thing that people mistake about alien and the slow build of terror is that there's hints and all of these things happening before that are, you know, so much, you're you're seeing the ship, you're seeing, you know, like the, the eggs, they're worried about it. They're fighting amongst each other. The ship is terrifying. You know, like all of this stuff is happening in that 30 minutes before the alien comes out. It's not a dull moment in there. Right. Right. So that seems like a a common misconception with younger writers or newer writers is that they feel like they need to hold back on the tension, the horror, the like these elements of like what it is. So it's a big surprise. But like I find myself sometimes in in so surprised that a movie got made where we're not even seeing the alien or the monster until act three and I'm like what have we been doing this whole movie like the reason I'm tuning in is for some like some uh, I want to see this the thing we can't see normally and like it's a bummer when it's holding back because I feel like it also limits the story that you can tell and uh it doesn't have to be like you're seeing full monster full alien like right away but like you said you're there's tension there you know there's something there and it's that like creating that gap of and then filling that gap for the audience it's so so important Um, yeah and every good monster story is not about the monster you know the monster is means something it represents something yeah you you find that a good monster story you know the people are the most terrifying aspects in a lot of good monster stories you know the last of us you know is a classic example dead by you know the dawn of the dead movies you know, these things, we're more worried about how humanity responds in these times and some of them. And that fear you can show right away, you know, yeah. like this, you know, this fear that, you know, Pedro Pascal is not going to be able to take care of this girl, you know, or I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, th- those types of things are out there. She also doesn't need his help. But by the way, you know, once yeah, you watch yeah. the show, <laughs> but that's how you subvert and, you know, and, and Chernobyl is I watched Chernobyl the other day and I was terrified when I watched this the first time. Terrified when I watched it the second time. And the reason why is because he drives in the stakes from the very beginning of what's happening. You know, you get this. So you, it's dread. It's, and that dread is part of like the joy of horror is like you're feeling this heightened thing that really, you know, makes, you know, paying your cell phone bill a distraction from that. There's still a lot of dread around that. And that's like why I think one of the reasons we turn to it for that cathartic release and to feel something. I love that you use Chernobyl as an example because especially, you know, at this time, like I have, I've been having a lot of anxiety around like the climate crisis and I'm like the horrors of this and like, you know, many years in the making, but like, I'm like, that is great horror and it's just our reality. And I think there's so much that people can tap into around that dread that is in real life. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. That we're living in scary times. I mean, this is a very scary. There's a, there's plenty of inspiration for things, and particularly if I may be so bold, 
in, you know, like immigrant communities or, you know, Latino, I, I mean, the other, you know, whatever marginalized communities that we've had in the past, they have a lot to be afraid of. And that's actually what I do. I do mention that sometimes in the group and Jose, you know, and Alfredo, my co-founders of, uh, of, of Jose, the founder has, has, have said is, you know, use what you're really afraid of, you know, yeah. dive in. It's, that's okay. You know, like to talk about what scares you, you know, if you're scared about paying your rent and, and why, but just go into why, you know, like, are you yeah. afraid of, you know, not getting this job because you're afraid of not paying rent? Cause you're afraid of, you know, being a failure or, you know, having to go home or moving out. I mean, all of these, but those can be just go deep to the bone, you know, yeah. <laughs> bring us the sangre, you know, bring us the blood. And man, I'm speaking so much Spanish today. It's hilarious. No, it's so great. It's, I don't normally speak as much Spanish. I just think of it a lot. Yeah. But, it's good. Um, it's good. I, I love that. Going to that, like this, that fear, that very human fear lets you tell, explore the horror of it, which is like very, that's why we, that's why we connect with it. No, I'm good to I'm, get it out. Yeah. It really does. It really does. And I feel less lonely when I'm experiencing it. You know, I, I felt so seen watching Midsommar. Like I was like, oh, breakups are awful, you know? And I am curious to hear, obviously we're here thanks to Black Magic for sponsoring Horror Week and letting us just geek out about it. You've worked with a couple of their tools and resources within the horror space. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you've leveraged, you know, those products to tell your stories and to mine this horror trove of yours. Yeah. Black magic. I mean, every, you know, every good film is, I mean, I hate to sound like such a shill for black magic, but I mean, everything is colored on resolve nowadays. I mean, that's the reality. The reality is it's a great resolve is a great color correction tool. Everybody uses it. And, you know, horror especially needs color correction. I mean, it's just this heightened kind of reality. And you do that so much better when you color correct your shows. And I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't color correct, actually. I mean, can we talk about, yeah, can we talk about the color of horror? Like, what are you trying, like, Mm. how do you, first of all, set the tone for, like, a specific horror world? Because it does change, like, the color of Midsommar is so different than the color of you know, in the psycho, well, psycho is black and white, so. No, but uh, in psycho, you know, there was a conscious decision to use, you know, the silver bromide stock, the, you know, this black and white stock that because of the contrast and the, you know, the cold feeling of it. I mean, there's incredible cinematography in that, in, in psycho. I think within a black and white film, you know, it's just funny. I've color corrected black and white and it's funny. They're like, what are you doing on it? And I'm like, well, there's, you know, so many different values of, of black and gray, you know, yeah. and the darkest and most contrast thing is going to come, it's going to feel like it's closest in the screen to you. So yeah. as things recede, they become gray and mixed. And so this is just a trick of color correction and, and image manipulation is when you composite something, you always make it like gray and, and then less contrast as it falls away farther behind. Um, yeah. So if you want to make it, that spaceship look like it's far away, you actually take the color, take the contrast down. These are things you can do in Resolve. Yeah. So, and then in color, I mean, you know, you just mentioned Midsummer. I mean, there's a, you, the best thing for a filmmaker to do for me as a colorist is to go and collect everything that they love, you know, of horror films and looks that they are thinking for their project, save those images and send them to me. And then that creates like a palette to work from that I want to use. 
And, you know, the color work on Midsummer, as an example, gives you this like pastel kind of, you know, sheen almost, you know, of something. I, it's very, hate to use the term Instagram, but it's also very, yeah. it's not, it's saturated, but in a very limited kind of palette that seems yeah. kind of distant from you. But then there's the like opposite folk spectrum. Art. Yeah, like a folk art. Like that's the, it seems to me like that's the inspiration is that like painting that they show in the beginning, you know, that <laughs> color palette and then just working with there. But I bet you it's like a combination you know, Ari Aster's a madman, you know, I'm sure he was like, let's color this to look like the painting or let's make the painting look like the, you know, like it's probably everything together. I'd love to talk yeah. to him about how he went through that. But yeah, and then there's the flip side of the spectrum. I mean, you know, Chernobyl is this cold, you know, low temperature. So it's like very blue and green. Mm-hmm. It gives you this metallic kind of color palette to me What I see it at different times when they're in the hospital, when they're outside. So yeah, using, you use Resolve also a lot in horror to cover up things that you've shot on set that you didn't want to shoot. You know, you do a lot of masking, creating depth is always important, creating contrast. I mean, all of these things, there's so many, we could do a whole podcast about the color of horror films, you know. Let's and, do and, it. We're doing it right now. I don't have a horror <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, there's an in- inclination from a lot of horror people that shoot horror to make everything green and kind of, you know, the seven kind of palette, which is an amazing palette. I don't think that's wrong, but there is variance. And, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, so there's desaturating things can also make you feel uncomfortable, but a good colorist will tell you that you only notice like the color really changing over time. So if you really want something to look dead or to hit you that it's dead, you have to have a lot of, you have to have the opposite in the beginning. It has to be very colorful and gradually yeah. work and descend into this kind of muted palette of tone of things. So, so resolve often, is great for that too. I often feel like the denouement of a horror film will be this like, you know, bright, happy color thing. But then with a horror twist at the end where you're like, oh, it's great. It, they got out and now mm-hmm. they're riding on a subway in New York City and everyone's going to be fine. But then Final Destination hit four ends with a grisly spoiler thing and yes the thing that the color as a way the difference where you've descended into this darkness or you've descended into this like very specific horrific color palette and then you like are taken out of it and it's almost shocking and then there's usually that horror twist at the end there was this movie copycat with with sigourney weaver Mm -hmm. and god jodie foster not jodie foster it was holly hunter and, mm-hmm. and there was this moment in there when she's like an agoraphobic and she walks outside and everything's like super expo- overexposed because she's an agoraphobic and she's finally leaving her house. And it's just like this, there, that is even a, a camera trick or a color correction trick. It's just, you know, going from very dark to extremely bright very quickly. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, Gone Girl was a good, a good reference for color for a long time. People mm-hmm. would send me Gone Girl. Zodiac is an amazing, you know, color palette too. Muted you know, brown kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm naming all these Fincher films. You know, obviously I'm a fan. <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, you know, there's... Horror can be so many different things. That's the joy of horror is that, yeah. you know, there's such a wide spectrum of types of horror and everybody has a different thing, you know? And I yeah. think that's why I don't get bored of it, you know? You know, I, there's the Rob Zombie, you know, carnival type of thing going on. Yes. That's incredibly different than... You know, The Shining, you know, and yeah. I think, yeah, also, what was it? There was a movie I watched recently, Blade. When I watched the Blade? opening of Blade. 
Uh-huh. And, you know, where they're like, he's going to a club. It's a rave and they're having fun and everything's great. Oh, what's something? It's raining blood. What the hell's going on? You know, and <laughs> if you watch the opening of blood, is it goes hard. It's good. It's really nice, good. And, nice. and the color of that is super important. It's yeah. very teal and red contrasting and it looks beautiful. I think of like, like Pearl, Ty West's film that came out. Yeah. Last year. And like they clearly were pulling inspiration from The Wizard of Oz and finding (laughs) the horror in that in the most, you know, the first colorful film of our time and then finding how you can make that horrifying, which they I'd say they did. So or they that whole team did so very successfully. I mean, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, when they go in the tunnel, that nothing scared me worse. than my gosh. No, I know that. I was, yeah. I just watched Young Frankenstein this week and I and I was it, like, gosh, like Gene Wilder is horrific and very funny. <laughs> but like he, like Will, that Willy Wonka and I don't have any thoughts yet about Timothy Chalamet. I, I'm not <laughs> publicly going to comment, but I'm like that how, Gene Wilder in that moment and like the flashes of things that we're seeing, like but kid movies bugs. used it's to be bugs. so dark. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's bugs and snakes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I, I I miss those days where like we would have where the horror in children's films was real and it wasn't like a weird manipulated dark YouTube AI generated thing. Like <laughs> let's go back to the intentional scare the shit out of kids uh via well, putting them down whole, a tunnel. There's this whole movement now in horror that I've been my kids have brought to me, uh, you know, because I have kids. And it's, they've blown me away with things like hug me, don't hug me, I'm scared. You know, Friday Night at Freddy's, I love this. I'm stoked for the video game genre has so many, you know, like back rooms. I love back rooms. I think that's more, I can't tell if that's a sci-fi horror, you know, like it's a, crosses a lot of genres. What are um, back rooms? Like they're, are they, they're video games? Ooh. Oh, you need to, yeah, you need to check out Google on YouTube Backrooms. I think it's Kane Pixels, I think is is the guy who made it. And it's this great short, but it actually creates a narrative. And watch the first one first. It's like this, so it's, this guy gets kind of falls into, he no clips, as they say. He falls into this, this other dimension of time. And he's trying to figure out where he is, but he's stuck Uh in this room that looks like uh, an abandoned kind of like hotel and like the the, con- the convention centers. Ooh, creepy. I'm this looking really, at little snippets from it. That it's, that does it's feel really like it good. falls into the found, almost like a modern found footage thing. Of, oh, it's all like, found like, footage. Yeah, very much so. So cool. That's so cool. Yeah, you guys, um, okay, you'll, you'll love it. Do I have yeah, to watch but, it at night with the lights off? No, you could, I mean, it's all, it's easily to consume, which is kind of the smart move by what he did, you're also going to be surprised to learn how much of it is actually not filmed. It's actually all made within a, his box. Yeah, he it's a really talented filmmaker. The one of them, yeah, I mean, my kids bring me these types of things to see because they know I like horror now. And, you know, it's there's just so many cool things going on. It's very cool. Yeah. And I, I, those are the next, you know, those are the things that really kind of get me excited about film. You know, there's great movies and TV shows that are out there as well. So, but yeah, back to Resolve. If I need, I use Resolve lately actually to do, they do this thing where you can get a depth map from a shot. Uh-huh. Dude, I, that blew me. I was like, wow. Oh my God. Okay. I can use this for so many things. Cause once you can get a depth map, you know, you can blur out a background in yeah. post. You can relight. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, Resolve is a lifesaver, like, and I'm not even just trying to shill for them. Like, a color correction tool is your best friend as a filmmaker. Yes. Yes. We're gonna we're, we're gonna cover everything. You know, we're gonna help you with anything. You know, that shot is crooked. There's somebody in the shot. There's you know, this is too bright. This is yeah. too dark. The How many times that happened? Fell in, and we have to. Yeah, it, it seems like it's this tool for fixing things and tool for enhancing things and tool for telling the story. Obviously. Those, right? We need those. We absolutely <laughs> do. And we need to milk every second of it. Uh, well, I'm so glad we got to talk about everything from the Latin Exorcist to the color of horror to, you know, depth Bloodstone. mapping. The Bloodstone. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to be posting the the video trailer in our article so people can see the horror of it. And I do want to end on a, a, a piece of advice, which is what movie should our viewers watch to have to be the most scared and I can share mine and you can share yours. Oh God. To be the most scared. Wow. Yes. And this mm. is coming out the day before Halloween. So people will be ready to be scared. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. I wish I had known because I'm so, there's so many things to cover. I want to go for a weird thriller that kind of, I don't know if this really made me scared, but it got something in me. The Green Room? You ever seen The Green Room? I've read the script. I've read the script. Oh, whoa. I don't know what the script is like, but with Anton Yelchin, I think is his name. The, the Green Room, it's, a, it's I've never read the script, but I've, I just watched the movie. Don't watch the trailer, I would say to people. Just go into it blind, and it's a great ride. It's more of a... Th- thriller i want to say but man it is fun when you have no idea what's going to happen it just grabs you by the throat i think you know of course i'm going to say the fly i think i loved because the one that gets you really scared what is what really i you know as a kid poltergeist yep you know toby hooper's poltergeist beautiful film yeah i mean alien doesn't really scare me as say it's just makes me excited um yeah don't don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is a great little video to watch on in the internet. That's a British television show with puppets. Oh my Ugh. gosh. Okay. I'm going to. Puppets gonna... are freaky. I'm going to give you a couple. I'm sorry. Um, okay. No, I love this. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I would do The Fly, of course, but that's more uh, creepy than scary, outright scary. Yeah. Creepy is uh, good. Uh, yeah. I thought, Mids- is good. I thought Midsummer was great. If you haven't seen it, man. I want to keep going into the other ones that I really like, like the ones that really freak me out. Well, you brought up Poltergeist. And I think I the equivalent of that for me as a child watching is The Ring, which like not re- upon rewatching as an adult, I'm like, this is just a f- fantastic filmmaking. It's horror. Mm. It's horrifying. I mean, for many years, I was like, Samara is going to come out of my bathroom. (laughs) I don't know why it was my bathroom, but I was like, that's the room she's coming out of. And never a TV. But like the fact that they could make a daytime modern apartment at the climax of the film become one of the scariest moments in, in my opinion, terrifying. I love Japanese horror. I think everybody should go see as much. If you can see the original ring too, great film. Yeah, I love Japanese horror. I'm, you know, yeah, dive into that all the time. Nice. Um, the other one that comes to mind is Rec. Have you seen that? REC? Oh, yeah, the Rec series. There's a series, yes. right? It's like, yeah, I'd love to see. Yeah, send that. That's that, great. I, it's that's so great. good. Found footage. It's a Spanish film. And I 
am horrified by the ending. Horrified. <laughs> like I, I think about it a lot. And I, I saw it 10 years ago. And I still think about it a lot. And I still get scared. So this is a yeah. treasure trove of, of recommendations. VHS, was a, VHS is a good found footage uh, anthology as well. Yeah. Man, you know, I... I'm, you know, at this moment, of course, I'm going to draw a couple blanks, but I think, you know, Psycho is still, Psycho is not really scary because it's a little slower, but I think it's really uh, a beautiful film for horror. And the one that really got under my skin recently was probably Chernobyl just because it just, but I don't know if you call that horror. I'd um, say, I think horror, I like to give a lot of horror to, I think Promising Young Woman is a horror film. Like yeah, well, let's tap into yeah. the realities of the horrors of our realities. Yeah, um, I'm probably going to think of a zillion as soon as I get off this call. I think, you know... That's okay, you movie. can come back and share more. We love <laughs> the horror. Movie, as a kid, Dark Crystal messed me up for a while. You oh, know, with those like, you know, with the... Those the, little the, puppet creatures? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that one really... Day, really yeah, I hate those. I mean, they just because they're scary to me. Well, where can people follow your work and learn more about the Latin Exorcist? You can find the Latin Exorcist on Instagram at Latin Exorcist or the Latin uh, That's Latin Exorcist. Yeah, if you hear this, you can find us on Instagram, same thing, Twitter, or now it's called X. But to, so we have a website and you can always DM us. We're always looking for new writers that are writing yeah. horror. Please send us an email. We'd love to read some new people. It's free. You sign a little waiver and then you come in the writer's room every once a month. We're always looking for new stuff. And Hollywood's looking for it too. So, you know, for me, you can find me at ricardoamartinez.com or yeah, that's the main kind of spot or ricardude on Instagram. That's Ricard probably going to be, it's probably going to be a lot of pictures of my kids, unfortunately, but I know oh, we'd love that. Love that. <laughs> I'm on Vimeo, I guess put, put me there too, Ricardo Martinez. Uh, there's a zillion Ricardo Martinez's, so you're going to get the phone book, but you'll find Ricardo Martinez. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for creating the joys of horror in this world. Oh, thank you for having me. I could talk for way too long about this stuff. Thank you, though. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ricardo, for joining us and for sharing your contagious passion for the horror genre. I loved getting into the weeds with you on the color of horror. And I love the space you're creating for communities that have been left out of storytelling for so long and filmmaking for so long to tell their stories. You can check out Ricardo's work at ricardoamartinez.com, as we mentioned. And really, this can be a rabbit hole of creepy, crawly things to watch on your computer as we gear up for Halloween. I'm telling you, some of the images that I saw in preparing for this interview have continued to stay with me in a way that makes me want to turn on the sound of music so I can feel something other than fear. To our listeners and on the note of color in horror, what is the most unexpected horror moment in your experience. We'd love to hear from you, especially as we're geeking out over this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast uh, across all platforms. You can also get more No Film School, including more Horror Week on nofilmschool.com. You can follow us on social media at No Film School across all the platforms. 
And a few more ways to track Ricardo and his work. You can follow his comic book series, The Bloodstone, at Bloodstone Saga on Instagram or at thebloodstone.net. Keep an eye on that space because I have a feeling something's going to be coming up there. And finally, you can follow the Latin Exorcist writing group at Latin Exorcist on Instagram or latinexorcist.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a good one. <laughs>